doing a study of uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, and uh, both chapters 8 and 9 uh, focus on the idea of financial giving. And that's a very practical matter for the believer, but it's also a spiritual issue, as we've seen going through this study. And that's going to come out again this morning as we head into chapter 9. Uh, the spiritual aspect, uh, I think, is especially evident in the final three verses of chapter 9. If you grab your Bibles, open up to, to that passage, 2 Corinthians 9. Follow along as I just read uh, the last three verses of the chapter. It says this, Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all, while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Father God, we're so grateful for the opportunity we've had this morning in uh, being able to be here openly, publicly, to worship you, uh, to fellowship together, and to lift our voices together in praise. And God, as we join our minds and our hearts together now to look into your word and continue to worship you, we pray that you would guide, that you would be our teacher, that you would help each of us um, to learn exactly what you would want us to this morning, that we might grow in our faith, grow in our love and relationship with you and with one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I know uh, because of the uh, snowstorm uh, last Sunday, there's uh, several of you that uh, were unable to be with us. And, and if you haven't had a chance yet to, to do it, I would encourage you to go to the church website and to listen to uh, last Sunday's message because it does have a lot of good, uh, useful information for us. Uh, but also, since uh, chapter 9 builds on those things that we saw in chapter 8, I want to give just a very brief, uh, really quick um, recap uh, this morning and uh, uh, help you out with that. So well, we looked at verses 10 through 24 of chapter 8 last week. We discovered four principles of good stewardship as it pertains to this area of giving. And again, I just mentioned the other passages in the Bible, uh, you, you can go to them to find out about the stewardship in areas of earning money, spending, investing, saving money. But our focus here, as we've been working through 2 Corinthians, is in that area of giving. And, and the first principle, if we want to be good stewards in the area of giving, is that our good intentions have to become actual actions. Verse uh, 11 uh, says it. This way, <coughs> excuse me. But now, finish doing it also, so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may also be the completion of it by your ability. And I, I mentioned last week how there are multiple times where I've been guilty of having good intentions, even in this area of giving, and uh, have failed uh, to follow through, and that thwarts my uh, desire to be a good steward intentions must become reality. Now, the second principle that we saw was that you give according to what you have. Uh, it seems pretty obvious, but a lot of times people get uh, 
bogged down there. It doesn't matter to God if it's a large or small amount. It is the heart that he is concerned about, a heart that that desires to worship him through this aspect of giving. Verse 12 says, for if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. And, And with this particular point, Uh, We spend a little bit of time delving into what I believe is an unbiblical position that says that in order for you to be a good Christian, you must give 10% of your income uh, to the church. It's what's uh, commonly called a tithe. And, And nowhere, as you search the New Testament in the teachings about the church, do you find that there's a compulsory, mandatory amount that is supposed to be given to the church. And again, if you have questions about that, I'd be willing to talk to you about that individually or, or again, encourage you to go back and listen to last week's sermon. That might answer a lot of the questions. But we give according to what we have. And then uh, third principle is to give your money to organizations and to individuals, for that matter, who are properly handling the money. Uh, verses 20 and 21 say this, taking precautions so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. So if an organization does not provide some full and open uh, disclosure about their finances, or if they spend an inordinate amount of their money on you know, personal salaries of those people leading the organizations, or... Uh, excess amounts of money on fundraising for more money and this type of thing, don't support that. Uh, They're not following biblical principles in in those things. So no matter how wonderful they may make the rest of their ministry sound and and heartwarming it may be and stuff, it really is not worthy uh, of our financial support. Uh, The fourth principle uh, came from the last verse in chapter 8, which says, uh, Therefore, openly before the churches show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you and the principle is that we we should put our money in terms of investing through giving into god's kingdom put our money where our heart where we want our heart to be Um, this verse says that that giving in this this financial support is a proof uh, of of your love and what you truly love what you really from a heart level love and believe in, that's where uh, your money will go. You're going to do that. And Jesus made this point very clear in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's just going to happen. And so you want to put your treasure where you want your heart to be, in God's work, in God's kingdom. And it's because of this truth that God actually calls us and challenges us and tells us to give because He wants us to test where is our heart. He wants us to be able to see it and, and others to be able to see the evidence of where it is. That's the proof of what we really love. So now, that's, uh, those four principles we did last week, just very quickly, and we'll move into chapter 9, and we'll cover all of chapter 9 uh, today. And uh, in this chapter, we, we are going to find two heart attitudes that affect your giving, and then two results uh, of giving. This is what you can expect to happen when you give. So uh, let's start with the heart attitudes first. And like I said, there's two of them, one negative 
and one positive. The negative one comes first. It's found in verse 5. It says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. So very clearly, and probably unsurprising to everybody in this room, covetousness uh, negatively impacts giving, right? I mean, that, that just seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? I went to Webster's Dictionary. It defines coveting as, quote, to desire wrongfully, inordinately, or without due regard for the rights of others, end quote. Uh, coveting is to wish for what you don't have or to greedily hold on to what you do have in, in, just regardless of how that might impact someone else. And coveting is, is a sin that is uh, specifically uh, condemned by God in the Ten Commandments. God said, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything. Okay, the or anything in there covers his big screen TV, his ski-doo in the backyard, his, you know, all these other extra things or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You know, the, the focus there is very obviously us wanting what someone else has. And that strong desire uh, to keep up with the Joneses. Yeah, no offense there, Peggy and Stacey. <laughs> A strong desire to have everything that other people have will hinder your ability to freely and lovingly give. So in order to, to combat the temptation of, of uh, covetousness, Paul first reminded uh, these Corinthians of their previous plans they had to give. In verses 1 and 2, he does that. For it is uh, superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry to the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely, that Achaia had been prepared since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. So this, this ministry that he mentioned... Uh, by the way, don't you find that interesting? At the beginning of chapter 8, he used the Macedonians as an example to encourage the Corinthians in this. And, and then right here he was saying, hey, it was you guys and your zeal for this at the beginning that I encouraged them and stirred them up and got it. You got, you got this circular thing going there uh, of, of Paul bringing out the positive and encouraging from each of these different congregations. I think that's a great thing. But this, this ministry he mentions in, in verse 1 is the ministry of giving. When, when you give, you are doing ministry. And, and he simply reminds them, man, you guys, you've been planning uh, to do this since last year. And, and the fact that you were planning to give this financial gift and, and, and were organizing and talking about planning, that's, that's what stirred up other people to do it too. And, and it stirred up the Macedonians. And when he would bring this to their mind, when he prompted them on, on remembering this fact, that would cause them to recall those beginning stages, right? And, and what it is, why it is that they were planning to give in the first place place. And, and, and you know what? If, if you want to combat covetousness, remember why you're giving. Remember what the, the purpose is, the big story behind it. Because if we just focus on the money and, oh, now I've got less money than I had before, well, then it's hard to give. But if you focus on why and that purpose, well, that, that'll combat that covetousness. And, and then, 
On top of that, he said that he was sending Titus and the team there to to, uh, get the collection actually started. Look at verses 3 and 4. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So now, you see, we've got this accountability level with other people. Hey, you said you were going to do that, and here's these other people who know you said you were going to do that, and I'm sending them there so they can uh, help you see through what you said you you were going to do. And that, that accountability, again, that also helps to, to combat this temptation of covetousness. And, and you know, as I, as I thought about this this week, I, I really think there's a, uh, uh, several different varieties of coveting. I don't know if you've ever really thought about that much. We, we just saw in the Ten Commandments, right, in, in that one, about greedy coveting, right? I really want what someone else has. Uh, and that's what that verse is warning against. And, you know, if that attitude gets a grip on your heart, boy, I, they got that. How, how, that's so nice that they, I, I wish I had what they had. If, if that type of attitude gets a hold of, of your heart, well, it, it's just going to be nearly impossible for you to give generously and, and, and openly because you're going to want to be able to take every dime you have and spend it on yourself so that you can get those things that you see other people have. I think there's also a, a miserly coveting. This is the kind of coveting that, that just hoards money for the sake of having more money, right? Th- this person won't spend any money, let alone give it away, because they just have to keep it. I, I read the account, and I, I was going to get the details, and I forgot to do it this morning, uh, of this woman 100 years ago uh, in New York City. She lived in, in, in this big old house, but she had one light bulb in the house. That's all she would use. She had oatmeal Every, every day, every meal, but she wouldn't even cook it because she didn't want to turn on the gas uh, to, to, to waste the money of heating this oatmeal. So she just let it soak and ate cold oatmeal every day. And she had millions of dollars in the bank, millions. She had this miserly coveting of not being able to let go of money. She didn't do anything with any of it. Just died and left it all behind. And then there, I think, is a fearful coveting. A fearful coveting because this says, well, you know, something might happen and I might need all that money. In this sense, this person is seeking their security in their money, rather than in the Lord. And we are warned, again, and I say we because uh, compared to the rest of the world, everyone in this room uh, would be considered a- a- as rich. We're warned uh, against that in uh, 1 Timothy six seventeen, when it says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. 
Now, if we were, if we were doing a complete study on stewardship rather than just focusing on, on 2 Corinthians as we've been going through that, we would discover that, that part of being a good steward is making prudent plans uh, for your future needs, right? There is nothing sinful, there is nothing wrong uh, with having a savings account and, and putting some money aside in an emergency fund, you know, putting that money away for a rainy day, as they say, uh, when, when something happens. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. However, uh, the Bible causes, uh, ch- challenges us to think wisely and prudently about that, uh, and, and we should never make those plans from a position of fearful what-ifs, because you know what? You'll never run out of what-ifs. If you're making your future plans and, oh, I've got to save money because of what-if might happen, you'll never run out of what-ifs. And so those types of plans have to always be made from a position of trusting in God's provision because God does provide. Now, again, he he says make some prudent plans, but do them trusting God's provision. And and the fact that he provides, we're going to see that again as we look at the results of giving when we get to that. But but first, we want to finish the two heart attitudes, right? We we looked at the first one, which is the negative one of coveting, which will, will negatively impact your giving. It's going to cause you to not be willing to give, and we always need to combat against that. The second heart attitude is a positive one, and it is cheerfulness, which inspires giving, right? And and this heart attitude is found in verse 7 where it says, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, a, a, a cheerful giver is someone who actually finds great joy in being able to give. So I, I, I did a little bit of research. You know what that word cheerful means in the Greek? Yeah, it means happy. I, I, I knew this was going to throw a lot of you off. Uh, uh, it means happy. In various translations, uh, this verse has been rendered cheerful giver, joyful giver, loves to give, one who gives gladly, gives happily. I mean, you get the point. That's what it is. It's actually, the Greek word is actually uh, the one that we get our English word hilarious from. Hilarious. Uh, uh, God desires a heart that gives with hilarious joy. Isn't that something? That's, that's amazing what he wants. And this, I believe, is a, a, another reason why God doesn't demand a certain amount or a percentage from everybody. Because when something is demanded, a, 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 a thing that you must pay, that's a bill, right? That's not giving. That, that's, a, that's a bill. And you know, it's really hard to find joy in paying bills Right? I mean, I mean, mostly, mostly we do it out of a sense of duty and obligation, right, uh, under compulsion, because if you don't pay a bill, there's a penalty to that, and you're going to get in trouble, and, and so therefore we get it done, but often rather grudgingly. I mean, yes, there may be a certain amount of, of uh, happiness in, in the idea that, well, at least I've got enough money to pay the bill, so, you know, we're happy about that, but, but, but paying the bill doesn't provide joy so much as it does provide relief 
right? Whew, got that taken care of. At least that's out of the way. That is not how God wants us to approach giving. He makes it clear it's, a, it's an act of worship. It's a spiritual exercise. He wants our giving to be an expression of our love and our joy in Him, something that, that bubbles over in us because we enjoy our relationship with Him, that, 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 uh, all that closeness and, and, and all that He has done for us. We, we start looking at what God provides and what He's done for us, and because of that, just, just giving just springs out of that and and not only currently i mean not only just here's what he's done for me in the past and here's what he's doing for me right now in the present but we look to the future right this is what god has for me and and when i know my future and when i know what's set for me well that just opens up the ability to just give with joy right now and and uh, uh god is is desiring uh, that kind of joyful giving heart. And, and, and so therefore, the amount you give comes out of a determination between you and God made in your heart because of this joy that's, that's overflowing in your life. That's, that's the, new, the New Testament principles of giving. And again, let me remind you, it is not about the amount. Someone who has very limited resources in the area of finances may find great joy in being able to help another person, even though the amount that they're able to give is very meager, very small in comparison to to what maybe somebody with, with greater wealth is able to do. But understand, God never compares the amount you give with anyone else. God's not doing that to you. He's only concerned about your heart and, and what you choose to do with what He has entrusted to you on this earth. So the truth is, someone giving 1% or, or 2% of their income may be making a much bigger sacrifice than another person who gives away 30% of their income. God's looking for that sacrificially loving heart, a heart that mirrors his own sacrificial giving to us. Now, we, we do need to be careful uh, not to take this, this concept of not being required to give a certain percentage or a certain amount as permission then for us to be careless or foolish or flippant in, in the way we use money and, and then say, oh, well, I guess I only have a couple of bucks left over this month, so I'll, but I can give that happily to God, so he'll, he's, He must be happy with me. Um, that's not exactly the way it works. Uh, the word purposed in this verse carries the idea of premeditation. It, it's the idea of planned, intentional, Strategic giving. It, it also indicates the idea of organized, pre, premeditated giving. The word purposed would, would probably have reminded the Corinthians of what Paul wrote to them in his, his previous letter, 1 Corinthians, when he said, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I direct the churches of Galatia, so do you also, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. See, this verse indicates an ongoing, systematic, premeditated, planned, organized giving. 
that's not to say that spontaneous giving cannot also be done joyfully. Uh, it is. I mean, there are times when, when a need, when something just pops up that you had no idea about, and, and when it pops up, your heart is drawn to that, and, and, you, and you, you just feel uh, led by God, like, oh, man, I want to be able to give that. And so you find yourself scrounging around, saying, okay, what, what, what money can we give to this? How can we do this? I want to be able to support this. And, and there's great joy in being able to do that. But those situations should be viewed as bonus opportunities, right? Uh, ones that come on top of your regular plan for giving. And, and you know what? If you're giving with a cheerful heart, it is a bonus opportunity, right? Because it means it's just another opportunity for joy for you. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something that you probably thought you would never hear a pastor say. If you aren't able to give with joy, with with cheerfulness, with this hilariousness in your heart, then I would encourage you to stop giving. If in your mind it is, I have to just give this bit of money because it's duty or obligation. Oh, man, you know, they're passing the offering plate. I suppose I should stick something else in there. I mean, what will people think if they don't see me sticking in there? And You're worried about these things and that's all it is? That's not pleasing to God and it's not benefiting you. You're just going through the motions and God's not a big fan of people going through the motions. So stop doing it. Stop giving. Now, I would encourage you not to do that permanently because giving is something that God wants us and calls us to do. So there's an element uh, of, of obedience in it there. But stop doing it long enough to, to prayerfully and carefully read through these verses, chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, other passages in the Bible that talk about giving, maybe, maybe the story of the widow's might, you know, found in, in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 and following, or, or passages on, on handling money and giving in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Read them, pray through them, meditate on them. Ask God to change your heart, to give you that heart of openness of cheerfulness that that is loving him in in a way of sacrificial giving and when he does that then start giving right and and at that point when that's happening then you can talk to god about the amount and and how you want to give and how much and all that kind of stuff but you're able then to do it with a smile on your face and and joy in your heart now I, i i think Verse 6 in this chapter, it acts as kind of a bridge both between uh, the, that negative heart attitude and, and, and the positive heart attitude, but also as a bridge between these heart attitudes and the results of giving uh, when, when we give. Verse 6 says this, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now I want you to know that that's a truism in every spiritual area of life. But the context here is very specifically speaking about finances. 
and it's contrasting the heart that is controlled by a, a coveting attitude versus a cheerful giving heart. And, and then Paul uses this, this farming metaphor to make the point that if you sow a small amount of seed, you can only expect a small crop in return. I mean, if you've got an acre of land out there and you go out and you toss out 10 corn corn seeds, (laughs) you can't expect to get much of a crop return from that, right? But if you diligently plant row after row after row of kernels, you can expect a bumper crop. So the obvious point he is making is that it's way better for us personally to be bountiful, cheerful, givers. However, I I want to make sure that we're we're careful to understand accurately what Paul is saying here because this text has been misunderstood, misused, and I would say abused by many people, primarily uh, those who ascribe to the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, the word faith uh, type movement. Um, There's been a great amount of abuse of this one. I I went to Webster's Dictionary again to uh, get the definition of the word materialism. Materialism is, quote, a preoccupation with or emphasis on material objects, comforts, and considerations, end quote. And it generally comes with a disinterest in spiritual or moral, moral values. The truth is, though, the word faith movement, health, wealth, prosperity, gospel, is nothing more than materialism thinly disguised as Christianity. The proponents uh, of these positions claim that it is God's will for every believer to be rich, which is incredibly easy to disprove biblically. But since lots of people really like the idea of being rich, They have lots of people that are willing to follow them. And usually the pathway to riches, these preachers and leaders will claim, is by sending them money, right? Uh, That's just the way it works out. And they'll use verses like this one to, quote-unquote, prove their point. They'll say, oh, man, if you sow sparingly, well, you can only expect God to give you a meager amount of money. He's not going to give you much in return. But if you send me a whole bunch of money, well, then God's going to open up the windows of heaven and He's going to pour out money and make you rich. They don't always put it quite so blatantly as that, but that's really their message. So what is God actually promising here? The context is finances and giving financially. But to properly comprehend the sowing and reaping part of these verses, we need to make sure we then understand also the two results of giving as detailed in this position, especially the first result, right? And the first result comes in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Okay, so now listen. In the context here, it is saying that the person who sows bountifully, gives cheerfully, will receive from God all grace, all sufficiency, so that you will have an abundance. Now, usually the health, wealth, and prosperity people stop right there, right? You'll have an abundance And they want to stop there to make it sound like that the point is that you give 
so that you can get from God uh, and he'll make you rich so that you'll have this abundance so that now you can have all these things you've always wanted. Bigger house, nicer car, more stuff to play with. It's materialism, right? And they are right. They are right to say that God does want to give to you. When you give and are generous, God does want to be generous back to you. That's what this verse is saying. You've all heard the, the, the saying, you can't outgive God. That's an undeniable truth. But what, what's missing from the health, wealth, and prosperity preaching is the purpose statement, the reason God chooses to do this. And the reason is not to make the giver rich. You don't give in order to get more so that you can raise your standard of living. The verse ends by giving that purpose statement. It says, so that you may have an abundance for, what reason? For every good deed. In other words, it's not so that you get a bigger bank account to be able to spend on yourself, but so that you will have more to meet more opportunities for helping other people and investing in God's kingdom. And if it's not clear in that verse that that's what God's talking about, the concept is repeated in verse 10. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. Why? For sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Go multiply it for sowing, right? In this passage, sowing has been equated to giving. And the seed, of course, is, is your money that you can give. He says, God will multiply your seed, not for selfish personal use, but for sowing, for more giving. God always seeks a generous heart to do this with because he knows a generous heart will not be looking at how they can spend more money on themselves, how they can live comfortably or extravagantly, but rather how they could help the needy or invest in things that will impact the kingdom of God. To that kind of heart, God is going to supply the seed. So the first result of giving generously is that God is going to supply your need so that you can be even more generous. That's why we don't have to be fearful about all the what-ifs of the future when we're making our plans for it. We can let God worry about all those possible what-ifs. We can choose to be generous. And we give generously and cheerfully. God says there's something that is going to increase in your life, but it's not necessarily your bank account. Look again at the end of verse 10. It says, He will increase the harvest of your righteousness. You, you will gain spiritually. And that concept is so important. It, it is also repeated from a quote from Psalm 112 when it says, as it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. There's a, there's a tying together of scattering, of giving and righteousness. Giving is part of living righteously. And, and that's what I mean when I say it is a spiritual exercise. As you give, there will be an increase to your harvest of righteousness. Now, just, just real quickly, because we're running over time, the second result of giving found in verse 11, 
you will be enriched in everything for all liberality. That's repeating the first result of giving. But the second one, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. God is asking you to become a liberal. Um, <laughs> at, at least when it comes to this area of giving and investing in His kingdom work, right? As we sow bountifully and give cheerfully, God will be praised. See, because it's not about us. It's not about getting. It's not about having more things for me. It's not about us. And it really, it's not even about what can be done with the money or built with that money or who can be helped with it. It's about God. Giving to His kingdom and His purposes produces thanksgiving to Him. Verse 12 says it is overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. In verse 13, they will glorify God for your obedience in, in this area of giving. Giving is simply another means of worshiping and honoring God and bringing thanksgiving to Him. It, it, it's going to bring praises to His name. It's going to bring glory to Him. And that is why we can give cheerfully. So this morning, we, we saw, right, two hard attitudes. One you want to fight against, covetousness. One you want to, to cultivate, cheerfulness in giving. And the results of that is God is going to supply your needs so you can give, and you can give more. And that you will bring praise and honor to His name. Let's pray. Father God, we are, again, thankful for your teaching your instructions on such a practical area as this but god oh it impacts our heart so much we don't want to be the kind of christians that hold tightly with a clenched fist what you have entrusted to us so help us god help us to to develop a hilarious heart that cheerfully gives to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.